Hi, Forest View. This morning, we are returning to our Life Together series. Over the last couple months, we've been journeying through Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, and I think there's a lot of significance that we can glean from this letter for our current situation now. They, this was a letter written by a person a significant distance away, separated from a community that he loves. And he speaks into this community that is facing all sorts of uncertainty and challenges and struggles. And he begins to speak to them hope. Not just simply hope that they're going to get through this, but hope because God is at work even in the midst of the uncertainty and challenges and difficulties that they are facing together as a community. And one of the things that he has to say that should bring them hope and brings us hope is that in the midst of the challenges and struggles that God is at work and together he is shaping us and forming us to become a people that we could never become on our own. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1 starting at verse 12 and going all the way to verse 18. So if you have a Bible I'd encourage you to follow along. Here's what Paul writes starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, Paul uses an important word throughout this letter and throughout all of his letters that if you don't know, you cannot really understand what Paul is about, and that is the word gospel. Now, this is not a word that Paul invented or created. In fact, it's not even a word that Christians invented or created. It was a word that circulated throughout all of the Roman Empire. It simply means good news or, or exciting announcement. Another way we might think about it is it was like the breaking news. And within the context, when you hear the word gospel, what most people think was, what most people thought was the gospel of Rome. Now, Rome was this incredible world superpower. It had spread out throughout all of the world, conquering other nations. And with each advancement, they would make public announcements declaring the greatness of Rome, whatever their most recent victory might be. And so you might be in the public and you'd hear an announcement about the good news of Rome, that they had conquered another province or taken another over another territory, or that this army had surrendered to them. Or the good news might be that there was a new emperor who was put in place who was in charge of everything and that the peace, the, the, the victory, the dominion of Rome was going to continue on and on forever. So, so typically when you would hear the word Rome or gospel, for most people in the audience, it would, it would have this thing that they would associate with kingdom and reign and dominion. Now Paul 
He grabs onto this word, this, and so does Jesus, and so do the first Christians, in terms of this announcement about good news. But for them, when they talk about the good news, they don't talk about a military victory, and they don't talk about which one of the emperor's sons is going to become the next emperor. For them, the gospel is Jesus. I mean, for them, it's about a victory that Jesus has made and triumphed over sin and evil and death through the cross and resurrection. I mean, for, for them, the gospel is the announcement of a new king, one not just over Rome, but over all of creation. That through the resurrection, Jesus has been declared Lord and Messiah over everything. And you can imagine that this would have ruffled a whole bunch of feathers in large part because, well, Jesus was originally put to death by Rome. He was executed as an enemy of the state. And the reason they did that, they killed him, was to shut his movement down. But it doesn't work. Rome essentially uses their most effective tools they have for shutting movements down, and it's ineffective. Because even though they kill Jesus, he comes back. I mean, Rome had effective tools for shutting down movements. They would torture you, they would humiliate you, they would throw you in prison, and they would execute you. I mean, the threat of death was something that they used, and they used it to the best of their abilities. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he exposes what they see as power as really being incredibly weak. Maybe you've had this experience before. Anyone who's looked after kids and had to discipline them, you may have had a little glimpse of what this experience is like. I know for me, it's happened to me before, uh, where I'll go to my kids and they are doing something they're not supposed to be doing and I'll say, you better stop that or we're gonna take away screen time and which you're never really sure, is that more of a punishment for them or is that more of a punishment for us? Like who, who is really benefiting from this? And they go, well, I don't care. That's not important to me, I'll go do this. Or, or maybe it's, you better listen or you're going up to your room. And they go up to their room and then they're just happy to be up there. You realize that the sting of whatever it is you're using to hold over their head to control them actually has no real power. And that's what Jesus does through the cross and the resurrection. I mean, the gospel is this profound statement, this profound triumph of God over sin and evil and even death. The things that were most, uh, most oppressing us, the things that were controlling us and manipulating us, the things, the, the things that we feared the most, Jesus triumphs over them through the cross and resurrection and through him comes a totally new way of life. I love the way that Paul puts it in his letter to the Colossians in, in Colossians chapter two, verse 15. He says this, uh, talking about the cross and resurrection, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Essentially, he made a total mockery of them. The thing that was supposed to be humiliating for Jesus actually ends up being humiliating for Rome and, and even more so for the powers of evil and sin and death in our world. He makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so this victory, this gospel, this good news, it, it drives and it reshapes everything about how Paul sees his life. 
because he now no longer lives with this fear of humiliation, this fear of being put in prison or tortured or even putting, being put to death because for him, he worships and serves and has surrendered his life to a God who's able to turn all of that upside down and take the most dangerous, dramatic, terrible, tragic situations and turn them into transformative forces of good and grace and love in the world. And the amazing thing is that God didn't just stop when he rose Jesus from the dead, but he continues to work through his followers through the spirit. And so Paul looks at his situation, a situation most of us where he's in chains, he's in jail, he's being mistreated, he's being told, stop talking about Jesus, you need to be quiet or else we are going to kill you. And for him, he just sort of shrugs his shoulders like, is that all you got? Like seriously? I mean, I love the way that he talks about it because this thing that is meant to shut him up and shut the movement down is actually causing it to spread. Look at verse 13, he talks about this. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So essentially he's saying, look at this, they were doing this to shut me up, but the reality is it's actually increasing my audience. I'm getting the opportunity to tell more and more people about the victory of Jesus through the cross. I mean, he's saying that, like, look, look at that. They're, they're coming to see God working in my life. In fact, they have to watch me because they're, they're like, that's their job. They need to, like, make sure I'm staying in jail. And then the thing that's interesting is that this thing that was meant to frighten all of the other Jesus followers, that, that was going to make them afraid and stop talking, as they see Paul, as they see his courage, and even more so as they see that, wait a minute, this is all Rome has? I mean, this is all they can throw at him? It's just causing it to spread and it's empowering them with courage. In verse 14, he simply says this, and because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters, he's talking about the other Christians who he knows, they become more confident, they become more courageous in the Lord and they are not afraid. They're going out and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Paul uses this term in verse 12, he talks about the advance of the gospel and it's actually a military term. It was a term that was used as an army was coming and they would clear away debris or force or whatever it was they needed to do in order to get to the destination that they were going. And so you can almost see this Paul, like this letter is mocking Rome and it's mocking evil and it's mocking sin and it's mocking death. All of these things that control and manipulate and Paul's just saying, actually, the, the thing that's really advancing, the thing that's really moving forward is the gospel. And it doesn't need your tools of fear and death and evil and selfishness. No, this is so much more powerful. And the thing that's amazing is that Paul is in difficult circumstances. In fact, he's actually talking about other Christians, some of them who don't like him, who are going out, and we don't really know many details about it beyond they are acting in a certain way that is bringing a lot uh, more tension into Paul's life. They're making life difficult for Paul in prison. But the amazing thing about Paul is that for him, he is not interested in his circumstances. I mean, that's not what drives him. He's not looking for comfort. He's not looking for security. He's not looking for the end of suffering. Instead, he sees all of his life as being about the proclamation of the victory of God through Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And so for him, he just simply asked this rhetorical question, which I think 
maybe shouldn't be so rhetorical for us. He says, what does it matter? He says, my suffering, the difficult things that I'm going through, the hardships that I'm facing. He says, what does it matter? Because the most important thing, the thing that really matters is not how I'm feeling, is not about my comfort. It's not about life being easy for me. No, for Paul, it's, hey, am I telling people the good news? Am I embodying, is my life proclaiming what Jesus has done? But because this is about a God who steps into the most broken, damaged, tragic situations and transforms them into good. I mean, this is a God who redeems even the most broken, difficult struggles. And so, so I would simply, so maybe I should say this. Paul is radical. I mean, I read through this. This is just someone who's just 100% sold out to this following the Jesus thing. I mean, his life is entirely oriented around Jesus. Uh, and I think for many of us in our culture, we, we, we have a different approach. <laughs> uh, because Jesus isn't so much something that we build our life around. Uh, Jesus becomes someone we sort of kind of invite in and we, we kind of just fit in somewhere. Now, Paul asks the Philippian church this interesting question. He simply asks them, but what does it matter? Looking at his circumstances, looking at the challenges he's walking through, looking at all the difficult things that they are facing both as individuals and as a community. He says, what does it matter? The suffering, the, 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 the difficult things that they're going through, what does it matter? He says, what is really important is not our own personal comfort, our own personal security, uh, our own reputation. For, for Paul, he looks, he says, it's all about proclaiming both with our words and with our lives the gospel. And he says, if that's what people are hearing and if that's what people are seeing, then that is really all that matters. And for him, in the midst of all sorts of difficulty and uncertainty and struggles, he says he can rejoice. Or, or maybe more significantly, he says in this he does rejoice. I mean, he has joy. There's this, this fulfilling excitement that he is able to experience. He's not limited by his circumstances. Rather, he is excited by what he knows God is doing in and through him and through the lives of other believers. Now, I think that if we just kind of, just, just to pull back for a second and actually start to look at Paul, you see a life radically changed and transformed by Jesus. I mean, you, you see this kind of attitude this, and, and this sort of way of living and you just think, wow, that just seems just hard to believe. Like, what would that even look like today? And I think it's because for a lot of us, Jesus has sort of become this thing that we just sort of add onto our lives. I mean, it's just something we kind of bring in. But, but for Paul, for Paul, this was something that radically turned his entire life upside down. I mean, this meant he had to rearrange, reorient. I mean, he had to rethink all of his priorities to make space for Jesus. I, I think about it kind of like this way. Imagine you've got this incredible masterpiece work of art and you wanna put it up in your house, but you realize as you bring it in that it doesn't really fit 
anywhere. And so your option is, is, well, do I just leave it to the side? Or wait a minute, maybe I need to just remodel this entire place so that when, it, when you come in, you get to experience this piece of art to its fullest. I mean, for Paul, he's remodeled his entire life, all of his priorities, the things that he thought used to be important, they're not anymore because he's found something that matters even more and he wants people to see Christ in him. So for him, life is not about avoiding suffering. I mean, it's interesting that for so many of us, we we think that life, for some reason, we are entitled to never have to experience suffering, to never experience pain, to never experience rejection, to never experience betrayal and to things falling apart and discomfort and uncertainty and all those things that go with just being alive. And yet, uh, Paul, I mean, he's like, no, it's, it's part of it. But, but in the midst of that, in the midst of that, I get to proclaim Jesus. Because for Paul, for him, opposition breeds opportunity. I mean, for him, this is about, wait a minute, this, this is about a God who, who brings transformation and new life out of crucifixion. I mean, this is a God who, who when they try to shut me up and lock me in a cage and they think that it's going to scare all the other Christians, no, this is a God who can actually make this movement spread even more. And so for Paul, he doesn't want to suffer. He's not a masochist out there looking for it. He doesn't enjoy it. Um, in fact, later on in the letter, he, he shows that, no, it's hard, it's difficult. There are really challenging times. But for him, his joy is not dependent upon his circumstances. It is dependent upon the God who is at work within him. And so my question for you and the question that I think this text poses for all of us is simply when you're navigating the different things in your life to ask, what does it really matter? when you face hardships, when you face struggles, when you face things just feeling like everything is falling apart in your hands, what really matters? What is the most important thing? And, and if you're like Paul, if you're someone who have completely remodeled your life to, to display Christ in all of his glory, then, then it's gonna look a whole lot different. I mean, I mean, if that's the way it is, it's not gonna be about the, the, the whatever, finances or money, like all those things are good and, and significant, but, but they are not what's most important. The most important thing is, is your life proclaiming the good news of Jesus? What does it matter?